0: I'd like to look at the feeding of the 5,000 today. In some ways, this may have been, in terms of scale, the largest miracle that Jesus did in that uh, he'd gone off, across the Sea of Galilee. They were in the wilderness, a crowd of, uh, it said 5,000 men, but who knows how many women and children as well. Um, So, you know, maybe 15,000, maybe more. Um, he's speaking to them. He'd, he'd gone up on a mountainside, sat down. And then he asked the disciples, or he asked Philip, how are we going to feed these guys? And of course, you know, Philip goes, there is no way in the world, you know, just like we would do if we had a similar crowd. Can you imagine the logistics even? I mean, it, it's rare. What's the dome seat, 10,000? and Most? you know so you 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 talk a crowd that size and and Jesus is going yeah let's let's take care of them and uh so Andrew comes along and he, he goes well there's a boy here with five loaves and two fish that'll do it you know sit down and and, and so there's a miracle that takes place you know and obviously um, it's one of those things where you're going how did that happen well except for the supernatural. We don't know, right? And you know, in the end, they pick up 12 basketfuls of leftovers. Jesus says, don't waste anything. So there, it's just a, an amazing story, but what comes out of it is, is pretty intriguing to me, because at this point, then the people immediately say, well, this is a prophet of God. Let's make him king. You know, we're, we're tired of the other governments anyway. Let's just, let's do this now. And Jesus withdraws from them. Then he sends off the disciples in, a sh- in their boat or ship, whatever. And um, he, he spends part of the evening praying. Then he meets them walking on the water. They've already gone three or four miles. There's a storm going on. And, and you, you know, our tendency to go, are they sure, you know, these guys were fishermen. They fished at night. So this wasn't uncommon for them, but they're in this situation where they, they've been rowing, and he climbs in, and suddenly they're on land. And just the fact that, you know, they'd already gone, what, three or four miles. The fact that people then would go try to find them and, and catch them again, they're going, oh, what are you know, what are you doing? You left, and we were, we were ready to do this thing. You know, what, what's this all about? And so... Um, Jesus tells them, he says, I give you eternal food. I'm not not just about taking care of your daily needs. I'm not just about um, this moment of of extravagance. And essentially what he begins to, to explain to people is that it's not about the temporal experience. It's not about just the you know, me taking care of you now. But there's a much bigger thing involved, and so this is a sign for that. And, and I guess one of the things I've been chewing on is how often when we have encounters with God, are we do we look to just confine that to the temporal, saying, I love that experience. I hope I have it again tomorrow, in the next day, in the next, you know. You know, feed us every day, Jesus, you know. And yet, really what is is happening is that he is giving us a hint of what to anticipate eternally. And he is, he in a sense, is allowing us a moment of the temporal that's outstanding to point to say there's something much more than this. And so, you know what, I encourage you when, when we're walking through life and, and all of us want encounters with God, that's true. And we love it when unusual things take place, but the sign of that is to be in regard to the eternal because there is coming a much bigger, better day than what's ever been seen on this earth, and so what we are what he is calling us to out of this then is to say, "I have much more if you'll be all in on this. I have much more if if you." buy into me so to speak and and so where it, it goes from here is um you know what do we need to do that you know you offer eternal food and he's what must we do and he says this is the work of god that you believe in him who has whom he has sent and the idea is not just that you believe jesus was special but if you believe Him to be the Son of God, then you submit your life to Him, and you say, I'm open to wherever you would lead me, whatever you would ask of me, whatever, wherever that would go, that's what I'm connecting to. And, and so in this passage, then he goes back and he revisits this idea of living bread and such, and it, it gets kind of strange to our thinking but it's illustrative of how what he's calling us to and saying it's not just about a meal today, but it's about partaking of something that influences everything you have and goes on forever. So first, he, 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 you know, they, the people say, well, you in the wilderness, our, our forefathers ate manna. You know, that was given to us. And he says, it wasn't Moses that gave that to you. It was God. And now I'm the one sent from God giving you living bread. And and so even during this Passover season that they were participating in, they're leading up to this event where in their memory is this thing of they have participated in the wilderness because through the Passover they were delivered out of Egypt. Then they promptly landed in a place where they couldn't provide food for themselves. And God continues to provide food day after day after day. And so even with the Passover, then they enter into what is the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which was seven days long. And so this is the season of year that they're looking at. And Jesus is saying, there is a bigger application of this and a bigger understanding than what you have even in the memories of what tremendous deliverance God brought in a sense, it's a deliverance for us now. It's a deliverance for his people. It's the bread of life. And so he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. He goes on, and, and they, they get kind of offended by this. And they're going, isn't this Joseph's son? You know, He's, he's saying that he's sent from God, But we remember him growing up. And so this grumbling starts, you know, they have participated in a miracle, but it hasn't turned out quite the way they want because they're ready to make him their king now. You know, and all of that is something that Joseph's son could do, so to speak. But he's talking about something that's completely different. He's talking about the eternal the unseen, and he's saying that's what this represents, and I find that in some ways, even, even in, through life, I keep getting drawn back into the what I see, things around me, hope God takes care of this today, where it's all been promised, but the idea is my mind needs to be more turned toward what's unseen. And it needs to be connected to the eternal. And it needs to recognize that this life, it's just a shadow and a vapor in comparison. And so when he goes into this dialogue with them and he says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part of me. And they're going, that is, we don't like the sound of that. You know, and and any more than we do, because that that sounds a bit weird, right? Right? But what he's really saying is, I become a part of your life. It gets indistinguishable. You participate in me, and you're participating in the eternal bread that the Father has sent, and you are taking on eternal life when you embrace me. And and so it's this, this awareness that even though he's using this imagery, he's saying far more. And that's what we have to come to terms with, that even in the temporal, when we see incredible things and when God's work in our lives is made known and, and we have this, I love this day moment, it's still supposed to point to, I'm going to love eternity a whole lot more. And so we, we, we try not to get bound by this, Preoccupation, so to speak, with experiences—you know, can I make it happen each day if I serve him close enough? And if I'm—that's like eating bread every day out of his hand. He's already promised that, but he's promised much more. And so we want to cling to it. Well, a number of people walk away from him at that point. In fact, um, if you read. The you know, the survey books and such, you'll say that was the peak or the pinnacle of, of his life on earth as far as popularity. You know, when you can draw a crowd that size and they respond, you know, ooh, it's great, you know, can you imagine them going out and telling everybody free food? He, he made, you know, it would have gone that much further, except that he draws a line and just says, I am not about just this, but this was a sign of something more. And so a lot of them grumble and, and walk away. And, and he's going, you know, my goal is to retain the ones that the Father has given me and lead them into eternity. And so he makes that declaration. And if the disciples say, you know, you know, he says, are you going to leave me too? And Peter makes this declaration, verses 67 through 69. To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life and we've believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And that's what we cling to throughout our lives. We recognize and say, Jesus Christ was unique from all other beings. He was God's Son sent to earth and he provided a way for us to participate in eternal life with him. We never escape that message. We never blend it with some other message. It is the core of what we believe. And so we keep coming back to that saying, you are the Holy One of God. You are the living bread. You are the one that provides life for me. In the next chapter, there's a passage that I want to tie into this because Jesus makes another declaration, says at the end of the feast, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, he gets up and he says, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture says, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So he's made two declarations right in this short scene. Bread of life, water of life. Bread and water for life. He says, "That's, that's what I am. And he makes this declaration. He says, that's the essence of my life. And that's what you're to be believing. This particular passage, um, as far as family memories, is special to me because my mother had a powerful encounter with it. She must have been 65 or 70 at that time, maybe a little more. But she had been calling out to the Lord for months saying, I've read this verse, but I can't really say that out of my life are flowing rivers of living water. He says, I I am walking with Christ. I have have the assurance of his salvation, but the idea of my life flowing out in in the power of you, it's it's not there. Now, this is a woman who had grown up in a Christian home, had lived for God through her life, had actually been incredible in, in the church setting. I mean, she directed choirs. She sang solos. She taught Sunday school. She mentored. She, you know, godly woman. But she's coming to that point, and she's just saying, "I'm. I haven't experienced the fullness of this in the way that I think it can be experienced." Well, during that time, they went to a series of meetings in another city five days in a row. They um, went with a group of people from the church and. You know, this was heavy on her heart, and uh, she she wants to have God speak to her about it. First night, somebody comes up, has a word of knowledge, prays over, and, and probes something that's deep inside, but has never really been dealt with. And uh, you know, she, in a sense, has a, a portion of freedom in that area, but it's she's gone that. Not really what I'm looking for, but you know that's it's still good. <laughs> second night, another experience similarly, different topic or a different issue, but again, kind of being set free, but not not rivers of living water, and third night the same, another issue, fourth night the same, another issue, fifth night same, and then person comes back and says, out of your inmost being shall flow rivers of living water. What had God done? You know, he had been untangling issues within her heart that had been there for years and years, even though she had walked godly. But there was the need for some healings from years and years past. But God took care of that and then the declaration is made from the Scripture. She's been praying for months. You know, that, that says to me that, you know, when we embrace the living bread and the living water, there is an untold quantity for today that is powerful and wondrous, and it is the food of life even in this day. But it surely points to something even more fantastic. And that's what, that's what we dedicate our lives to. That's what we embrace in the Lord. And we say, you know, it's wonderful that you fed us. And, and you know, Jesus, you know, in Matthew's saying, don't worry about what you're going to eat or drink. I, 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 I got that taken care of. And it's true, we get caught up in that, but he, he's going, "There is so much more." And you know, we, we use that phrase, "Are you all in?" You know That's really what this is about. It's a eat his flesh, drink his blood. It's like, "Are you all in? Are you taking me into, my, into your life in such a way that I can transform you by my spirit? And I can develop the eternal within you. And I can prepare you for all that's ahead. What a wondrous thing that is. Help us not to get caught up in the momentous moments in such a way that we're just looking to ease our own self or please our own self, but really to take the science for what they are. It's just a taste of what's coming. Thank you for your scripture that speaks life. I pray that each one here would partake of you. There would be the knowledge of you working in their hearts, providing by your spirit eternal life. Amen.